site is open and I'll try to scan it. We are in Luke 11. We just finished with the Lord's Prayer and we kind of rushed into that last bit of uh, verses 5 through 13. But I believe that this really goes with what you were saying there, uh, Brenda, and that he says when you ask God for good gifts, you, he's going to give you good gifts. And then he uses illustrations. If you ask for bread, will somebody who loves you give you a snake? You know, um, if, you're, um, if you ask for, let's see, an egg or a scorpion, fish or a snake, and he's saying, uh, listen, it's God loves you more than your parents do and your friends do. So trust that what he gives you is a gift. And that's, um, I'll tell you that that can be a struggle. Um, you know, looking at this, I, I hope you're not overtired with the, well, there might be blessings out of this because <laughs> we're, we're, we're really digging around for them. Uh, there have been some real issues with isolation, suicide, depression, abuse throughout all of this. But there have also been families that are doing puzzles together and they, they are walking together. Uh, they are, they're learning new things, they're listening. I've reconnected with some people that I'd lost connection with over the years. Um, and then I see that they're doing a service or they're doing a class online and I get to see them again. So it's, are we gonna look for the gift? Uh, I, I don't want to say everything that comes to us comes from God because the devil's out there too. But even when the devil throws something at you, God can give you good gifts. And this is just a, I think that section of right after the prayer is Jesus just getting us ready for saying, listen, keep praying, keep knocking on that friend's door. And whatever you get, let's assume that's a gift. And let's, let's go from there with it. Um, Luke is going to go into a, a, a story that leaves out what other gospel writers put in this story. And normally that's not what he does. So I'm kind of excited to go into this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. A very difficult phrasing there. We'll get back to it. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But one of them said by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. First of all, you need to know that the Jews had exorcist at this time. They'd picked up a whole theology of demons and exorcism and how to do all of that in their time in Babylon. And so you do see a lot of Babylonian ideas incorporated into early Judaism. That's um, the way that works. You, we do pick up from the culture. We always, we always have. So it wasn't, it wasn't unique to see somebody tossing out a demon. And people would often wonder, as one should, is this some sort of a carnival show? Is it real? By whose power? By whose authority? Uh, all of these questions. But the interesting phrasing I want to bring up is the way Luke phrases this. Maybe it's because he was a physician. He says the demon was mute. And then when the man begins to speak, they're all surprised that he can speak. So it seems that what he's saying is it was a demon of muteness um, or it was a mute demon that 
when it took over the guy, it, I, it took his personality. There's no way to figure this out. And Luke is the only one to phrase it in such a way to make us go, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Um, Jesus makes it very plain that illness is not God's idea and that being hurt is not God's idea. He, he doesn't want us that way. Instead, it, he almost always attributes pain like this to, um, to the devil. I, th I think that he would also talk about the world. You know, he only had three and a half years with us. We only have 21 days of his work in the, in the record. So it's hard for us to know what all he said. But I, a couple of interesting bits there. Beelzebul. Uh, Beelzebul means the Lord of the manor. Uh, it's another form of the word Baal. The word uh, Baal is actually how it's pronounced. I didn't know that until last year. I'd always called him Baal. But I've been listening um, to Pete Enns. If you, don't, if you know who he is, Pete Enns, E-N-N-S, is an amazing scholar of scripture. Uh, has written some fantastic books as far as I'm concerned. And there are some that are terrified by him, but I, I really enjoy him. And he also has a podcast. And it was a podcast because now you're hearing his voice. It's called The Bible for Normal People. Um, he, he also, as it opens, says it's the only God-ordained podcast out there. He has a sense of humor. Uh, a lot of amazing interviews. But because of his scholarship and now the podcast, I'm learning. I mispronounced so many words. I just did. And Baal is how you would... Uh, would say this. In fact, you see the word E-L, and we call that L, uh, the name for God. It's Al. And I'm sorry, I can't call, I can't call God, you know, uh, uh, even a pagan God, Al. It seems like a bad Paul Simon song. So I'm going to stick with L on that one. Anyway, Lord, uh, master of the house, master of the village, Beelzebul. When Jesus refers to Beelzebul, in other gospels, whenever he says the name, he doesn't say Beelzebul, he says what? Beelzebub. Very different and very clever. The, the Semitic languages, uh, like most like, well, I don't know. I'm just gonna stick to the Semitic. Semitic languages do not have native curse words. You know, uh, English has a ton of native curse words and, and foul language. Instead, the Semitic language uses wordplay or they borrow uh, their cursing from other people. And it's, it's very odd when you hear two Arabic men say, just really going at each other in Arabic, and all of a sudden you hear keep a couple of English curse words flock, thrown in there. Normally, uh, I always say, just think of that, what was it, the old uh, little Jimmy Dickens song, was it maybe, let the bird of paradise fly up your nose? That's their insult. In contemporary America, there was an example where a president did this and people in America didn't get it, but he did it on purpose. And that was the first George Bush. During that first Gulf War, uh, Saddam Hussein, his name is Saddam Hussein, and Saddam means mighty warrior. And it makes me think of this Beelzebub, uh, Prince of the Manor, but mighty warrior. But George Bush was highly an educated man, but refused to say Saddam. And he would always call him Saddam Hussein. Do you remember that? Some of you old enough Saddam. 
Well, the newspaper people made fun of him, the TV people made fun of him, but later the records showed that that was done on purpose. It was discussed around the intelligence table because Saddam means the south end of a northbound donkey, basically. And so they get CNN in Iraq. And so it was decided to purposefully wordplay the name. Jesus tends to wordplay the name Beelzebub in the other gospels. He calls him Beelzebub, which goes from Lord of the Manor to Lord of the Flies, or Lord of the Dung Heap, really. And yes, that's where the guy got the name for the book that you had to read in high school, if you had to read books in high school. Um, so what's going on? Uh, they're saying, I think he is, I think he's really working for the, for the devil. And here's where Luke um, leaves out a part of the story that terrifies so many. Because in Matthew and Mark, they, they, they say that, you know, he brings up this um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And people all my life, and I'm sure other ministers get this too, will say, I think I did that. Un unlikely, unlikely. To um, nail it down, the best we can reverse engineer out of this story, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is whenever you attribute the works of Jesus to the works of the devil. Now, that's really hard to do. Uh, I've heard a couple of times people, I think they probably crossed that line. Um, they were witches, Satanist, paganist, who believed that Jesus and all of that story, um, they had a backstory. Uh, are you aware that some, a couple of religions teach that Lucifer and Jesus were brothers? Lucifer is the good one. Jesus is the evil one. That, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a little hard for you to make that crossing back to Jesus, if that's the starting foundation of where you are. Um, but again, I mainly find that a, a, among some paganists and witches, uh, it's, it's really hard to find it elsewhere. There are those that say the higher levels of Mormonism teach it, but I do not believe that. Uh, there are others who say that higher levels of Freemasons teach it, and I used to believe that. But I've done a lot of research over the last 10 years that made me think, no, that was, a, that was a lie. It was a libel against the Freemasons. So, um, I, let's see, the story of an example, how much time Jesus spent telling people who he came from and to whom he belonged. Yeah, um, let's talk about that because you will still get people that will say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. And I'm going, yeah, he did. You know, Samaritan woman is one. But let's keep looking. They asked for a sign from heaven. They're saying, Where, where's this guy's power coming from? Jesus knew their thoughts. Luke likes to use that expression. And said to them, any kingdom divided itself, against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. All right, Americans. Uh, what American president used that in a speech? Anybody? Abraham Lincoln. The house divided itself cannot, uh, it, it, he, he brought that right in, uh, quoted it. So, all right. If, uh, and by the way, there's a, I think there's a state flag with that on there. I may have to look that up. I think maybe Kentucky, but I'm not sure. Anyway, 
why am I teaching you this? You're supposed to be teaching. Anyway, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, who, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they'll be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, I love that phrase, do you not? I mean, oh my goodness, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, we're not done with this because he's he's, he is moving and I hate to interrupt Jesus at this stage, but do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, if I'm doing exactly what your heroes are doing, and it looks exactly like they're doing, why would you judge me different than you are judging them? And that's a fair comment. You know, in our politics, we are used to neither side being fair with the other side. Neither side. Media, we are used to nobody being fair with anybody on the other side. We need to be above this. Um, we need to be understanding, well, um, let's, let's be a, a people that are fair. And if it's all right for them, it's all right for this. If it isn't, then it isn't. Uh, but he goes further. He goes, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, I would like for you to, um, um, I'd like for you to review later on, or you can turn off your video and do it now. We won't see it. Mark chapter one and two. Because Mark shows Jesus beginning his, his ministry by immediately tossing out demons. And there's no, there's no drama at all. Uh, here comes a demon. Jesus goes to church and a demon's waiting for him. So therefore, some people do arrive at church already bringing their demon with them. So if you, you know, just don't be surprised when you see it break out. So here he comes. And a, a man possessed by a demon, the demons inside are terrified because they recognize Jesus. And the demons start calling out, wait, 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 what are you doing here? Are you, have you come to, to, to destroy us? Don't do that. You know, what, what are you gonna, they're terrified of the presence of Jesus. Jesus um, is in Mark, he says, um, be quiet, he said sternly, and get out of him. If you look at the original colloquial language there and of course we have it in greek we don't have it in jesus he would have been speaking more most likely in aramaic it's really shut up get out that's the movie that's the whole exorcism right there there's no uh, oh boy we got to read the lord's prayer backwards we have to get some hot water and get some sheets for some reason uh, we got to do that nothing it's just no stop get out and so the finger of god i just see that kind of like if the finger of god just go out. I love that. I really do. Told you a story before, but I just love the story. John Ortberg, who I read to help me understand what Dallas Willard meant in his theology books. I, John Ortberg for me is Dallas Willard for dummies, and I confess this. But he and a couple of other theology students were driving around, and they saw a big man beating up a little guy on the street. They had a discussion <laughs> What are we supposed to do with this? This is pre-cell phone, so you, you don't have that dodge. Yeah, uh, they decided that Jesus would want them to at least try to help the guy. None of them had ever been in a fight before because, did I say, theology students. They, uh, they get out, and they, they all kind of walk along shuffling in one little group across, and uh, John says it was basically like, uh, we really just don't think this is acceptable. You know, they were just really 
going into to full terror mode there. When the big guy stood up, put his hands up, and he said, okay, okay, we're good here, we're good, it's over. And he backed away and left, and John and his two buddies thought, we are, we are good at this. This should be our ministry. We should drive around stopping people from being beaten up. And as they're congratulating each other, they turn around and behind them, they said they saw the biggest guy they'd ever seen. Well, the big guy wasn't afraid of them. He was afraid of who's behind him. When Jesus comes into the room, the devil is afraid. He's not afraid of us. He's afraid of Jesus. That's why we never use our own words to speak to the devil or try to cast him out. We always speak to Jesus and ask for Jesus to do this because he, he can do it with the finger of God. Um, the plagues in Egypt, yes, were the finger of God. Um, there were, you know, this is where Michelangelo got his uh, picture of the creation of, of, of Adam. This is where, um, oh, the, uh, the fingers of a man's hand writing, you know, mena mena tico yufarsum on the, on, the, um, on the wall, you've been, you've been measured and found wanting. God uses this, uh, this, my hand or my fingers sometimes. And Kevin and Renee put up, could blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be a continual disbelief in Jesus as the Messiah? This is always very tricky. Jesus said blasphemy against him would be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Father would be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would not be forgiven, neither in this world nor in the world to come. That is why the scramble to, to define it, it becomes so important because we become terrified uh, uh, that we might have done this by accident. And again, it's impossible to do it by accident. I, I, I really, I want to stick with that, um, attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil. Um, the Bible does tell us that we only get to heaven through Jesus. And I understand that um, a disbelief in Jesus as the Messiah to death certainly gives nobody any promise of a second chance or redemption. Uh, I'm, I'm always hoping God does anyway, but um, I guess we'll see. There, the Bible talks about there is a sin that leads to death, and that one terrifies people. Uh, you know, oh no, what's that one sin? And I think that one would be more, Morris says that would be more this one, the sin that you never pull out of, that you embrace, that you hold on to, all the way to death. Um, but the, here's the thing. All of these are questions about the margins. We don't need to know where the margins are. We're, we want to run to the center. We want to run to Jesus. Um, okay, quarantine specific here, I guess, um, or at least it's reference. When I was a boy, the preachers preached against men with long hair, and they used a passage completely out of context in 1 Corinthians 11, but to be fair, 1 Corinthians 11 is a brutally difficult chapter to get a context for. Um, but, you know, it's a shame for a man to have long hair, and they would preach this continually. Of course, it was against the nascent rising of hippies, yippies, and the like. And I can remember sitting with my friends, and, and we were, you know, 10, 12, 13, and, and you'd hear some of the big guys, you know, have a little hair on the ear and the leg, and they'd be saying, yeah, but what's long? And even then, that felt like the wrong question to me. 
why would we be asking how long is too long? Why should we be asking for how far can I go? I didn't say anything at the time, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have been just a little jerk sitting there on the pew. Um, but it, it's a question that has sometimes concerned me when people are really asking, all right, what's that margin where I'll get lost if I go over here? I am told, and this sounds so much like a preacher story, it probably is one, but I'm told that people that ship across the Great Lakes, they, um, they know safe channels because the Great Lakes are full of rocks. And the story uh, said one time of a woman that's looking out and seeing all the rocks, and she asked the captain, do you know where the rocks are? And he goes, no. And she was not comforted by this. So he said, I don't need to know where the rocks are. I know where the safe channel is. Well, preacher story or not, that's a good way to go about your life. Let's not play this margin. What if I were, um, Cammy and I have been married almost 42 years now. And among us all, we all gasp at the wonder of that. Anyway, um, what if on day one I came to her and said, right, we're married. We did the thing. So, I'd like to have a list that you put on the fridge of everything I need to do to stay married. What kind of relationship do you think we might have had? That's not the way it works, is it? You don't go for the margin. How far can I go and still be in here? So let's, let's, not, let's not try to find margins here. Um, when a strong, we're going to verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Interesting, armed. Um, but when someone stronger attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Luke gives us this without context. Um, we now have to get context. He is saying that the devil is brutal. The devil is hard. The devil is guarding his possessions, armed, armored. We need a stronger champion to come, like in the John Ortberg story. Jesus comes, not only does he cast out the, the bad guy, he takes away the armor in which he trusted so that you can no longer, um, you no longer need to worry about the devil. But we brought up last week, uh, one of the things, oh no, I did that, sorry. I've been teaching Bible classes at other churches. They'll, they call and interview me during the week, and then they play it on Sunday. So I got confused there for a second. Um, that's, I've never been confused before. It was a very strange place to be. Uh, let's go. Um, the devil's greatest tool against us is the clock, time, because we didn't get our joy yet. We didn't get our plans yet. We didn't, or we look in the mirror and we think, well, this isn't where I wanted to be. And so we cast about and say, oh, the wife's holding me back. I got to get rid of her. Or the husband's, you know, it, we all were terrified by the loss of strength, health, life, youth, and the devil uses that against us. And so Jesus removes that by saying, you don't die. You go from here to your real life, a better life, an eternal life with me, and it's going to be fantastic. Well, he's removed the devil's armor here. The devil now can be wounded, and he is wounded. If you remember that first prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, um, that uh, he will wound, the devil will wound uh, Jesus' heel, but Jesus will wound his head. It's a fatal wound. 
So uh, again, Jesus is here not just to cast out the devil, but to defeat him. And that's important because as, we've, as we see in other gospel accounts, when the devil is cast out, he can come back if we do not, um, if we do not have Jesus. There are so many stories here I want to tell. Um, I've seen it happen so many times. Somebody go to rehab, get clean, come out, old friends, old neighborhood, right back into it again and again. I've seen people go back to therapy again and again, get better, and then immediately not better, have to be back in therapy. And it continually reminds me of you, you cleanse the house, but what did you put in? to make sure it didn't happen again? How did you fill that space? Without Jesus, there's no permanent healing. And I had to argue that for my master's <laughs> and at a secular university. And that, uh, that was an interesting day. Uh, they spent that uh, a day on that point, basically, because I, I said there's no permanent healing without Jesus. And uh, that, that was an interesting ride. Anyway. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. All right. What American president used the first part of this as official policy? Well, it's much more recent than Abraham Lincoln. The second George W. Bush. George Bush, yeah. Yes. If they are not with us, they are against us. And so, uh, again, not sure that was in context, but he did use it. Uh, it's, um, oh well, um, whoever is not with me does not gather with me scatters. If you're following the Ecclesiastes series, two weeks from today that, that ends, and I'll give you just a little bit of a preview here. The meaningless, meaningless, meaningless that you keep hearing in these sermons doesn't mean that what you do with your life is meaningless. It, it means what you do with your life is meaningless if from that you are trying to get your value, your purpose, your reason for existence. We get our meaning from our work and, and such and you die and it's all over. No, we get our meaning by those we loved and he who we followed. If you do not follow Jesus, you are creating issues. You are not solving issues. If you are not following God, you can leave detritus and, um, and despair in your wake. And so Jesus is saying, yes, there are a lot of people out there casting out demons, but you might want to watch what happens next in that person's life. A great illustration of this, do you remember the sons of Sceva? The sons of Sceva were professional um, exorcists. And they saw how um, powerful Paul was. And so they went up against this, uh, this woman that had a demon. And they said, by the name of the God that Paul serves, come out. And the demons, well, I'm getting a little chills right now. The demons said one of the most terrifying things in history. The demons looked at this guy and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. But who are you? <laughs> I'm just going, okay. That's a bad day at Blackrock. Um, uh, Jesus says, if, you, if you're not with me, yes, this is not going to go well for you. And then look what happens. He warns about that coming back. 
when an impure spirit goes out of a person, it goes through arid places. Some versions say waterless places or empty places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds a house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. If you clean your house, alcoholism, drugs, whatever sin it is, you've got to put something in there. If it remains empty, the demons can come right back. And they do. I'm not going to ask for, if we were in a class with free give and take, I might. But I'm not going to ask you if you have friends like this, but I will just say that I certainly have that have gone through rehab four and five and six times and never get better for long. It's, um, I'm not telling people to quit and give up. What I'm saying is, since this isn't working, let's add something to this. You, you still need to go to the rehab. I, I, I don't believe that you can get past an addiction just by sitting around reading scripture. But you're going to need to have a new community. You're going to have to have a new lifestyle. You're going to have to have new friendships. You're going to have to have new habits. My dad told me, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little foggy on the details here, so if you'll forgive me. Um, evidently, he worked in a place where everybody smoked, and, and he didn't smoke. Uh, he had at one time, but he quit that, I think, back in the Navy. Um, but he said, everybody, you know, they just reached to the pocket. And evidently, a policy came down that they were to not smoke in the building. And he said, people kept reaching for the pocket. And so most of them would put in a, um, they're not polo mints here, they're, they're lifesavers, mints, or um, gum. And he, my dad being dad, turned against those too, thinking, oh, those just a substitute habit. And I was thinking, no, they, they just needed something. They needed something to be there when they reached over that habit. Um, we, we need to change our habits. We need to change what we reach for. You, you end up worse if you don't have Jesus. And I think of, and again, I don't know the man, and I might be slandering the man here. I'm just working off of the public that I've heard. Woody Allen has been in psychotherapy his entire adult life. And that stuns me thinking, why are you continuing what didn't make you better? Now, I'm sure that if he was in the room with me, first of all, he would not care what I thought about him. But second, he would probably say, well, it does make me better. That's why I keep going. All right, fair point. Um, okay. What I'm looking for is there's no permanent healing unless you go to, go to Christ and use the community. Uh, AA only has a recovery rate of about 2%. If you're talking life, lifetime, no drop-offs. Celebrate Recovery does a lot better. I do not have numbers. I don't want to guess. Sorry. But I, I know that the numbers I saw a long time ago were still being worked on, and numbers keep changing. Uh, but they have a lot better results, and theirs is because it's all based upon faith in Christ and a Christ community. Check and see who you're putting in there. Um, 
in some ways, and sorry to be stereotypical and you could read this for being misogynist, I guess. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be. It is not true that a, man, uh, that a woman who marries a man that abuses her will leave and marry another man that abuses her. That's not a given, but they are more likely to hop from abuser to abuser because there's a root problem that was never taken care of. We need a good developmental therapist. We, we need some real good uh, professional intervention here to help change the habits. Jesus is saying, if you don't change your habits, they're coming back. If you don't change the way you do things, they're coming back. Um, sadly, many of the churches that are the type that I was raised in determined years ago that the reason our churches are growing and theirs are not is because we're teaching false doctrine and they're not teaching the true doctrine mean enough. And so they accelerate it and they poke it. And we have to yell louder than we were before. And it's just, it's a race toward the dream. Uh, and it, just, it, it breaks my heart. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in a crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Um, she was actually a little bit more graphic than this. It always, ticks, it always tickles me how we... We holy up the scripture. She actually was referring to a bit of the breast, shall we say, uh, that, that Jesus would have latched onto. But we're too Christian for that. And so they, they kind of just say, you were in that general area. Um, and he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This could sound dismissive of mum. I don't think that's what he was going for. I think the crowd probably laughed and they probably laughed at his response. Just get, it was easing the tension. Lady just goes, wow, thank you for the mother that brought you here. And he's going, hey, blessed are anybody who follows God. Uh, the give and take, we, we, we make these people cardboard characters and I don't think we need to do that. Uh, by the way, Luke eleven twenty eight 28 is also Ecclesiastes 12. Go check it out. Good. You can do that now if you'd like to, you know, again, kill your video so we don't know. Um, but you, you will hear that in a couple of weeks, but chapter 12 is a short chapter. Skip ahead. Spoiler alert. Uh, uh, Luke eleven twenty eight is the same as Ecclesiastes 12. Anything before we go to where they actually start really pushing him for a sign. All right. Do we have time? We're going, to, we're going to give it a go. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. Now, first of all, that's, that's normally we say, hey, look, everybody, the crowd's increasing. <laughs> Jesus is looking around going, well, this stinks. Um, it asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Uh, well, um, this can be very clear if you follow the rabbis and their studies, uh, especially Messianic rabbis through the uh, early part of the church. How, how long was Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Well, three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. When Jonah came out, Jonah would have been scarred. 
digestive juices and being inside of something doesn't is not good for one. He would have been scarred. Uh, there's also another little treat here that we don't know, but the Jews know and cracks them up. When the, the whale didn't spit out, or I know people say, it says great water creature. Yeah, I know, but in the New Testament, they use the word whale. So I um, did not spit him out anywhere near Nineveh. <laughs> this guy all bent over, probably had joint damage and, and skin scarring and issues the rest of his life has to hobble all the way to Nineveh and he looks up and there are the great gates of the biggest city in the world at the time. And the city of Nineveh had a, a, a fish over. You can see John of God. You know, good one, God. And he goes in. Jesus goes into the grave, comes out so scarred that the men of Emmaus and others did not recognize him until he said, look, look good, it's me. And he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you that opportunity. But look what he says. As Jonah was given as a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. What do we normally call the Queen of the South? Oh, you know this for sure. It's uh, the Queen of Sheba. And there are all kinds of stories about how they fell in love and they had a baby named Menelaus who then went back and um, started the uh, Egyptian church. Uh, the Rastafarians claim that they come from this line as well. But here's the thing about history. If you leave a gap, somebody will fill it. They, they will fill that gap. The books about the early life of Jesus that are all made out of whole cloth. Um, by the way, just to confuse things, Ethiopia wasn't where it used to be. To them, Ethiopia was another words of saying boondocks, outer place. They had Ethiopias in North Africa. They had them around Syria and Iraq. They had, they did have them in current day Ethiopia. There is evidence they had them further south uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, there, in fact, there are, there are old ancient stone castles in Zimbabwe, uh, which I find wonderful. And they are learning about the people that, that built those things. And by the way, it's typical racism. The discoverers assumed it had to be a white race that built those castles because they, no, no, these people couldn't have pulled it off. No, it wasn't the white race. These were, these were African people. Um, but all of that, we don't know where she came from. We don't know where she went back. But it does seem she would have been one of the southern Ethiopias. Um, I have so much to say about this, it doesn't help anybody. So I'm going to move on. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is using the subjunctive uh, tense. If you remember from a few weeks ago, Subjunctive text, uh, tense, I can't say that twice now, uh, is a tense where you speak in the present of something which will be in the future. There, there is a subjunctive tense in English. It is almost never referred to. Um, a very uh, easy one would be, God save the queen. Now, what does that mean? Just like right now, the second? No, 
it means in the future. And that, that's kind of. If you're reading um, a Spanish newspaper and there's an ad for a job, let's say a, a, an administrator, a secretary administrator, and it says her duties in America, it would be her duties would be, or this is what she has to fulfill. And, and there they go to a whole different text, a tense, and it sounds like, um, you know, she files, she answers the phones, she sets up the appointment book, she schedules the meetings, but they use a different tense. And he's using a different tense here. He's saying he's going to give them the sign of Jonah. He is going to do this and they will not believe it, which of course is what happened. You know, a whole lot of people did believe, but please remember, when Jesus did his best and God did the fantastic miracle of Easter, more people chose the losing side than chose the winning side. So don't be surprised when things like that happen in our life, that more people choose the loser than the winner. I, I brought this up before. Billy Graham was once asked if God was going to judge America. And I think this was back in the 60s or 70s. He said, if God does not judge America, he will owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I found that to be a very stark and powerful uh, saying. I certainly hope that God's grace will be so great that these things will not be of our concern. Um, but I find it interesting. The men of Nineveh will say, we repented. We repented after the shortest repent or perish sermon that was ever preached. Have you ever noticed that about Jonah? There were, it wasn't even a sermon. He said, 40 days and Nineveh shall fall. That was it. And they went, we're sorry. We'll repent now. And Jonah's going, yeah, he's, he didn't even like the Ninevites. And so he goes, and he, you know, I, I love it because he, he, get, he gets under a shade from a gourd, uh, gourd vine. I think, again, there was probably some sort of skin damage or such uh, to him, but regardless. Um, and God comes and finds him there and uh, says, well, what are, you, what are you here for? And he goes, Jonah goes, I just knew you were going to forgive them. I just knew you'd do that. He's so upset. His short sermon worked, and these people get to go and be saved, and, I, and it just infuriates him. Uh, I, I love him so much because he's so human. And then, of course, God kills the vine, and he's all upset. And God then even has this very hilarious line where he says, but think of the people. Think of the cattle. And a very popular movie a couple of decades ago borrowed that idea and worked it in a scene. The uh, Coen Brothers, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, was a remake of Ulysses, uh, the Homerid, uh, you know, the Iliad, um, uh, Ulysses. Um, it was a remake and with the addition of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the guy on the handcart that is going, that is always pursuing them. And the broken dam when it comes and they all get flooded over is their baptism. And so you see this all work and it's, it's done very, very uh, brilliantly. But Machine Gun Kelly, who really was just a completely unlikable thug, just a punk, Machine Gun some 
cows. And if you remember, one of the characters goes, oh, George, not the cows. You know, and that they took it directly. If you, if you read the, review, uh, the uh, interviews with them, they took that directly from Jonah. Well, here's how I want to apply it to us. I want to apply it to us as the Jews apply it to themselves. Every year there's a holiday based around this. And they read the book of Jonah at their dinner table. And before they eat, they say, we are Jonah. In other words, we are the people who have not been hospitable to those who are not like us. We are the people who have turned against the foreigners. We're the people who have turned against the others. We are Jonah. Um, it's one of my favorite books. I, I just love the way it unfolds, the drama in it, the comedy in it, the pathos in it. And he's saying here, they didn't get as much sign as you. And they're going to look at you and say, dude, what were you waiting? Well, they may not say dude. They may not say dude. What were you waiting for? It's, it's great stuff, but uh, Luke is about to do what he tends to do and jump into a whole different thing with no connecting story. Uh, Mark does that a lot too. Any, um, anything you'd like to say or do before we're done here? It, it does me good to see the faces. It really does. Uh, I miss, miss you folk quite a bit. Um, things are developing quickly. You saw a little e-blast from us on Friday, I believe it was. Um, as we keep reading and studying and praying, we we're going to do everything we can. Um, outside is good. Uh, every, uh, this is one of those things about the virus we've not heard anything but positive. Sunshine, fresh air kills this thing. So if you can get outside, social distance still, don't worry. Well, I'm downwind. It doesn't seem to travel well that way. Six feet is not a magic number, but truly six feet is very safe. Four feet is not so safe. Uh, we're, we're studying droplet movement uh, and all of that stuff. So if you can meet with, with like-minded Christians or with your neighbors in a social distancing way, in your front yard, meet with some people. Uh, let's start moving a little bit. If, if things begin to spike, we will change our, our advice. But right now, I'm, I'm working on a point system. Uh, Tennessee Department of Health, but also the, uh, the nation of Israel has a, a point system. Sweden has a point system. Japan has a point system. Um, it's things such as if you're over a certain age, that's one point. If you're obese, that's another point. And there are different things that add points. Anybody with two points or more should not be in a group of more than 10 people, period. And, and we really are at that place still. And so we're, we're gonna be working on that and trying to see how do we roll out church? And be aware, we are talking to a lot of churches in our area, almost daily, Gary is. I'm not me, I, me it's more like twice, uh, two or three times a week. I'm doing more on the, uh, the medical side but he and I liaise constantly. Um, it is all of us are saying the same thing. And that is, it's going to be a slow rollout over the summer before we can get back to where we were. But we want to make every step we can make and do it because we love you. I'm not afraid of a virus. I love people too much 
to ask them to put themselves in a dangerous place for themselves. That's the whole thing. And so who's asymptomatic, who's got it? So if you just cover this with prayer and your shepherds with prayer, because we're constantly trying to say, how do we do this right? So that it shows people love. All right. All right. Remember, we are Jonah. So uh, bring some more people into your circle and love more that you used to not love. Uh, by the way, if you were watching Otter Creek this morning, Josh starts off his sermon by saying, I want you to start by thinking of somebody you really, really don't like. And I immediately went, got it. And Cammie started cracking up. It's, if we're honest, we can think pretty fast that way. So let's start finding those people and bringing them in. Uh, so we're no longer Jonah. Love you guys. Cheery bye. Thank you, Trace.